Hello, escapers, and welcome to another episode of Scape Talk. This is Mr. Bistro, and with me, as always, is Screaming Truth. Hello, all. And for the first time today, we have a new panelist. It is none other than The Guru. How are you doing, sir? Doing okay. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad to have you with us. So first up today, we want to start off with a segment called The Great Escape. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Hero Escape, and today my question is... Is Heroescape in a coma? What do you guys think? Yes. Well, I, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's start off with the guru. Since you're new, we'll give you a chance to talk. If a Heroescape was hooked up to some kind of heart monitor, what would it be doing right now? Uh, pretty much flatlining, if anything. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely in a coma right now. I mean, we've had Wave 8 and, and uh, the large expansion out since June, May or June, and nothing new since uh barely anything at gen con save for the work that we did with the uh tournaments and everything it's just uh it's it, it's ready to pull the plug the way it's in a coma right now yeah it's uh definitely disappointing for all of us uh, especially you know we know that wave nine we've been told the wave nine has pretty much been designed before the big handoff around that time or something like that. So it's disappointing that we haven't seen something that's essentially done, which you would think could be just sort of popped right out. Truth, any uh, any thoughts on your end? Yeah, I mean, sure, it's in a coma. Uh, from the prospect of is Wizards doing anything with it? Is Wizards keeping it alive? Uh, but the fan site's still active. National Heroescape Day was the biggest National Heroescape Day we've had yet. Uh, the tournaments at Gen Con were the biggest tournaments at Gen Con we've had yet. So obviously the game still has uh, its following, which which makes the fact that Wizards hasn't done anything with it even more disappointing. Yeah, it's not like a game that's died out or you know gone past its time. This is a game that is at the peak of its popularity, and yet there there seems to be nothing. We knock on the door, but nobody answers. So a little frustrating. Yeah, I mean, when you have when you have a Dreamblade or or another one of the many games that that kind of uh, are stillborn or die, die out early, you know, for them to stop being produced is is it's obvious. You know, you can't make money off it, but to stop producing for a game that clearly has a an active fan base seems wrong. And let's, an active let's and a large forget, fan base. Let's not forget that while. You know, while we haven't heard any news, they are still producing. I mean, we just now are starting to see Wave 2 hit the shelves, so that's a good indication. Um, but in regards to future product and future releases and future news and kind of wetting the appetite and keeping people, you know, excited about it, yeah, Wizards is doing next to nothing. Right, and it's it's clearly because of their whole, oh, we're retreating to our core brands, we're pumping all of our resources into Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and & Dragons, and we don't even want to talk about anything else. That seems to be their stance right now, and, and Heroescape clearly is suffering from that. Yeah, this is a company that does, It's all, they've always been fond of retreating from things. You know, they... Um... <laughs> yep, sorry about that. That should have been on the disclaimer to shut your cell phones off. We did. Sorry. We, we, we did. <laughs> hey, you guys are used to another this. Thing that's, another thing that's uh, hurt in Heroescape is just uh, the the economy in China is, is changing, and uh, it's just it, it costs a lot more to produce. 
And so I guess there's the, the decision to be made. Are we going to up the prices on HeroScape and, and continue to produce it at a profit? Or, or are we not going to? And if they don't, I mean, it seems like the only realistic option to keep producing is to up the prices uh, because it's the only way to continue to make money. And right now, everyone's upping the prices. Fantasy Flight has just recently said they're not going to do... Um, uh, well, they said they're going to start charging their regular full price uh, for everyone. Um, D&D Miniatures, the cost is about to go up real soon. So everyone is raising prices. It's just a matter of, <laughs> you know, give us a chance to try, you know, pay more for it first before it gets canceled. There there are good things happening. I mean, uh, and National Heroescape Day is a perfect example um, they supported us, which was great. They sent us uh, Skahens, which was fantastic. And really, I that's plenty of people. I, I mean, that's all the work of of Paul Barkley. That, I mean, to say that that's Wizards, and and I might be overstepping my bounds, but to say that's Wizards is kind of falsifying the information. That's Paul Barkley doing that for us. You know, he secured those for us. It was a single handed effort on his part. Sure, Wizards let him do it, but but Wizards on their own wouldn't have. Uh, I was trying to be optimistic, but yeah, those are <laughs> pro- probably those are probably skatins they had sitting around anyway, and uh, yeah. All right, so it's a little it's a tough time to be a Heroescape fan. Not much going on. All we can do is wait, hope, keep playing, and uh, having fun with it. We've got an amazing game already. Um, certainly, it's enough to keep me satisfied for a very very long time. But nothing new to report as of right now. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Even after Wizards stops supporting. The game, HeroSkippers.com will be around. There will still be fans who are in the game who are still doing things to to freshen the game. Absolutely, and we're going to still be finding HeroScape around, too. This is going to be one of those games people will be reporting their lucky finds on for a long time to come before it really, truly dries up. All right, let's move on to our segment, Keep or Crap. We are going to review a game today, a game that uh, all three of us have played, I know. Uh, fairly new, and it's a perfect time for it since Halloween's right around the corner. We're going to be reviewing A Touch of Evil, the Supernatural Game. Now, this is a new game from Flying Frog Productions, the same folks who brought us the fantastic zombie game last night on Earth. And uh, Supernatural, A Touch of Evil, is more of a gothic horror game. It's set in early America, right after the Revolutionary War, and heroes find themselves battling a variety of bad guys. So, first off, let's talk about the rules. A Touch of Evil, it's got a very similar look to Last Night on Earth. Uh, You'll see the same uh, style of photographs. In other words, people in costumes with some Photoshop filters put over it. Um, very similar production values, but a very, very different game. Uh, right out of the box, the first thing you'll notice is the map is very different. It's an old parchment-style map, uh, very much looking like you're peering into an old treasure map. It's pretty cool looking. Uh, the miniatures, the only miniatures in the game are for the heroes, and you've got a wide variety. You've got, um, there's a delivery boy, a courier, there's a, a highway robber, there's a schoolmistress, there's uh, an out-of-work actor, an inspector, soldier, lots of folks to choose from. And the idea is that they're going to, they've all come to this small town to solve a mystery. People are being murdered. There's weird stuff going on. So they show up in this little town in the middle of nowhere, 
in uh, I suppose it's in the north. And uh, they begin looking around for clues. There's four different bad guys that could appear in the game. Four arch villains. You got a werewolf, a headless horseman. You've got a scarecrow and a vampire. And uh, you only see one of these during the game, but it, right away you know you've got a lot of replay value. Uh, the players select a villain to be the overall bad guy, and uh, the game begins. Now, like last night on Earth, there's a lot of moving to spaces and then drawing cards to explore. But A Touch of Evil really takes it many steps farther. There's a lot of different locations on the board, and most of them have their own unique uh, deck to draw from. So if you're going to the manor house, you're going to be getting uh, vents, and uh, you'll be experiencing things that have to do with the house. You'll be going to dinner with the lord and lady there. You'll be snooping around for clues, talking to uh, talking to their staff. If you go to... Uh, if you go to the um, the old woods, for instance, you're going to find a lot of spooky woods-based stuff. So right away, each different area of the map that you explore has a very different feel to it, which gives it uh, right away a lot more depth than Last Night on Earth had, where you can find a chainsaw in the high school gym and things like that, or a shotgun in the hospital. Uh, so players walk around, they snoop for clues. Uh, they'll have to make lots of tests. There's a role-playing element to uh, Touch of Evil in which... Uh, Characters will try to overcome obstacles, and if they do it, they get experience, so to speak. Their stats can be boosted. And you also get a little something called investigation points. And investigation points represent you finding clues. They represent the townspeople starting to trust you. And you can spend these investigation points to get more facts, to boost your stats, or to get cool items. Uh, investigation, if anyone's ever played Arkham Horror, it's very similar to the clues that they have in that game as well. In fact, really, A Touch of Evil is made up from lots and lots of other different games. If you've ever played adventure games before, it's not going to surprise you. The reason why it works so well, though, is it takes the best parts of other adventure games and blends them together in a really fast and seamless game. Uh, just like Last Night on Earth, you're going to build a narrative, but I would say that in A Touch of Evil, it is far superior. The narrative is seamless. You've got all these great spooky events happening. No matter which bad guy you've got, no matter what's going on in the game, everything sort of ties together and you'll find that you're really telling a story. There are a couple new mechanics, though, in A Touch of Evil that are really cool. One of them is uh, has to do with the town elders. If you've ever seen the movie Sleepy Hollow by Tim Burton, you kind of know what to expect. You've got about six or eight town elders, all of whom have their secrets, and you can explore these secrets during the game. Now, it could just be that they're, you know, one of them's a drunk, one of them, you know, could have a, a few minor problems, but you could discover that you've got an ally against the fight against evil, or you could find out that the town elder is in league with the big bad guy, or maybe he's controlling the big bad guy, or maybe he is the big, ba uh, big bad guy. And these secrets are really important to the game, because when it comes to the final showdown with the big monster, you can call on two town elders to come help you. Now, if you flip them over and find out they're in league with a bad guy, you suddenly have guys helping him and you're in a whole lot of trouble. If they're on your side, though, they can jump in and lend a hand and you've got a really cool fight on your hands. Now, when it comes to fighting the big bad guy, you're going to need to use layer cards. Somewhere in that board, the big villain is hiding out and using your investigation points, you can purchase layer cards, which are where he's hiding. The idea is to build yourself up, get a bunch of cool gear, get some allies, go to that layer, and then 
kick the villain's butt. Uh, sometimes that's easier said than done, though. They can be extremely tough, uh, depending on where you are in the game. There's a shadow tracker that lets you gauge uh, how the game's progressing. It basically tells you how close to evil the town has come. If the shadow track gets down to zero, the bad guy has triumphed. He's done so much badness that you can't possibly reverse it now, and he is basically going to take over the town or kill everybody or or whatever so it's not quite a turn track marker but it's a pretty neat element as well you've got lots of minions being thrown at you sometimes the big bad guy shows up and attacks people it's a really fun game uh, there's also two different ways to play really there's the competitive and co-op version in competitive all of the investigators are racing on their own to find out who the big bad is and defeat him Alternatively, though, you can play a co-op version where everyone's teaming up to fight the big bad together, and there are special rules which let you scale the villain so that he becomes even stronger since there are more people. Uh, we all had a chance to play this recently. Uh, Truth, what are your thoughts? I I liked it a lot. I, I mean, it, it created a lot of fun. It was thick with theme, which I always enjoy, and I liked the secret thing. I liked the fact that you could press your luck, that you could try to get to the lair early and 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 take down the guy early and i like the fact that it didn't work for you when you did uh as i found out the hard way guru what are your thoughts on the game oh i love this game um i loved last night on earth and uh when i found out that they were putting out a new game this year i was all excited to get it um it, it it's great because it feels a lot like last night on earth you know it's a flying frog game it has a lot of uh, mechanics that are similar but it feels like a completely new game and it plays like a completely new game um i think it, if at all possible, this game even has more theme than Last Night on Earth, which makes it even more of a draw. Um, I really liked the differences between the competitive and the cooperative versions, although I prefer the competitive version because the monsters are unbelievably tough on uh, the co-op version. Um, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely a must-play on my table. Yeah, I enjoy it as well. You mentioned the role-play, and, and that is really a cool element. It's very cool to see your guy grow in power and uh, and sometimes it's to the point where you get a little overconfident and cocky and think you're going to stroll up and beat the werewolf in the face and claim victory well and one of the things that surprised me about um a touch of eel is that it really is a fast playing game and i i think that speaks to why it's a uh, success because well it does borrow lots of standard adventure game elements that you've seen in other games like arkham horror or talisman at the same time it works because it's so fast and never has a chance to really feel overly repetitive by the time you've really got your character built up guess what it's time to run to the bad guy right away this truly is a game that takes about 90 minutes to play it's fast, very satisfying, and I think the overall rule design is a lot more mature than what they did with Last Night on Earth as well. I think it really shows a lot of growth on uh, Jason Hill's part. It also has a lot of room for expansion. Uh, oh, yeah. Cool expansions uh, are, I mean, you sit down and play this and as a gamer, you immediately see all the things that they can expand on. Yeah, it comes with four big villains, and really, if they never made any other villains, you'd still be able to play this game a whole lot. Um, the prospect that they might make more, that they're going to be making alternate cards, um, who knows? There's a lot of different stuff that they could do with this, including even making new maps that they could attach to it. 
Okay, so I think we're in agreement. It's a it's a great game. Definitely, it's keep. Definitely not crap. Um, it's a fantastic effort from Flying Frog. Uh, if you haven't already heard our Gen Con podcast, I invite you to go back and listen to that because we had a interview with Scott Hill, the art director for Flying Frog, and there's a lot of inf- uh, interesting information about this game. But I would definitely recommend you go out and buy it. It's a great little horror game. Uh, it'll fill a great little niche in your collection, and it's just good fun. Let's move on to our next segment, Poke the Panelist, which uh, today we only asked the guru to join us uh, solely that we could single him out and um, give him a hard time. So, Guru, let me talk to you about a, a terrible issue that has been plaguing the HeroScape boards. Uh, it, it's just, it's absolutely horrible. Someone found a perfect rules flaw, and they pointed out that if you were to hide a figure in shadow, so that you, the person playing, couldn't actually see it, that therefore you didn't have line of sight. Which, of course, raises all sorts of interesting hypotheses. What happens if someone turns out the lights? Does that mean no one has line of sight? <laughs> so since you are the guru, you have, uh, uh, you've done some, uh, helped out with the FAQ and things. Tell us, how do you feel about lighting and line of sight? <laughs> um, yeah, I read that thread. That was, that was hilarious. Um, I like the, uh, the uh, addition of turning the lights off, you know, whenever it's your opponent's turn, you know, that's in the advanced advanced rules um, as a way to block line of sight. You know, we don't need trees anymore. We just turn the lights off. Um, now, it's... Uh, I don't even know where to go with that. Um, you know, none of the official maps uh, actually have a cave environment except for one in the master set. And it's... I don't think it's enough to actually impact the lighting in the room. Um Bring a flashlight. <laughs> uh, that's possible. I was thinking maybe uh, get a strobe light going. And so if you're going to shoot at someone, you have to wait until just that moment where the light flashes, and then you roll the dice. <laughs> because if you roll if you roll for the, that second when it's dark, then it doesn't count. All right. All right. So no, uh, no, you don't feel that that's perhaps uh, no, no, not a, good a valid rules argument? No, not so much. It's funny. It's It's... It's funny that anybody can get that, like, ridiculous. <laughs> I, I believe uh, my suggestion was that if anyone tried to bring up that, uh, that, that with you, that you couldn't see into the darkness, that you would then say, okay, you know, and not make the die roll. Then you gouge their eyes out and then say, <laughs> so what can you see now? But, um, <laughs> by the way, if anyone's actually thinking of doing that at home, uh, you might get sued, and if you end up suing me for it, my name is Jerry Hawthorne. I live in Texas. <laughs> Feel free to send any litigation that way. <laughs> All right, let's move on to gaming news. Let's look at the larger gaming world. There's a whole lot of stuff going on right now. Let's talk about Battlestar Galactica. Now, this is a game I know the three of us are really into. This is a fantastic game. I think it's game of the year. That is... If it makes it out this year, um, Fantasy Flight is known for delaying games. What's puzzling about Battlestar, though, is that it was for sale in August at Gen Con, and yet we don't have it yet. Uh, Fantasy Flight said it's on the boats, should be here in the U.S. soon. But now a lot of websites like Amazon.com are saying it's not going to be out until November. So uh, sadly, this great, great game is being pushed back a little bit more, it looks like. And we'll have to see what's going on there. Um, great game. I mean, what do you guys think? Is I mean, I've been saying it's it's the best game of the year. What do you guys think? Oh, I absolutely de- uh, agree. It's just absolutely amazing. I keep checking actually the Amazon ship date to see you know when we can finally get our hands on it. 
Um, we played a game uh, three, four weeks ago, and we're playing an online version of the game right now uh, with an email campaign, and I just, I can't get enough of it. I can't wait to get a copy. I'm kicking myself for not uh, shelling out the cash at Gen Con. Oh my god. Oh Is, my god. Did you not turn off your phone the first No, time? that's my wife's phone now. Hang on a second. You people have the gayest ringers ever. <laughs> Don't say you people. <laughs> That's just Chris. Oh, Chris and his people. You there, buddy? I'm here. Is Chris here? Uh, no, I think he's tracking down his wife so he can throw the phone at her. His brother's phone is worse. <laughs> we'll hear that ring next. I'm he sure. actually had he had the theme song for the Little Mermaid. <laughs> what that makes sense. Well, Does he have yes. a crush on the Little Mermaid? Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> It's a little disturbing. It's a lot disturbing. Let's 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 not talk about it. <laughs> All right, so Chris, you were saying something, but I think we kind of lost it. Yeah. You want to start over? Yeah. Um, no, I absolutely agree. Uh, Battlestar is just unbelievably amazing. Uh, you know, we played a game uh, what three weeks ago. We're playing an email campaign right now, and I just I can't get enough of it. I keep checking the Amazon ship date to see when it's actually going to ship, um, to see when I can just get a whole lot more playtime in it because I just can't wait to, to really delve into the different themes of the game yeah uh, the guru myself truth uh, fattest ninja sky knight and Jim all had the pleasure of sitting down a few weeks ago uh, we had a blast that was the, one of the best games I've ever played of anything period um, in fact there's a write up that we all did on it on uh, Fortress Ameritrash right now if you guys want to check it out it's um, it's a fun game so I really do hope it gets out soon I'm saying it's so great but uh, it, my voice is starting to echo now it feels like people are kind of tired of hearing how great it is people actually want to see it on their store shelves Truth uh, your feelings on the game? I, you know this game is just it's so crazy I, I mean no game has ever fulfilled its theme better for me in that when you're playing the game like when you're watching the show you feel this intensity almost this stressfulness for for the situation that these poor humans that are barely clinging to survival uh, find themselves in over and over again and the game replicates that perfectly uh, the, the game that I played with all of you was just was it, it can only be described as this uh, stress-inducing uh, experience, and you'd think that's a bad thing, uh, but but it's not because it's exhilarating at the same time. Yeah, when we finished our game after having played for hours, my side the Cylons lost, and yet I distinctly remember feeling relieved that it was all over because I was just so on edge. I was like so ready to be able to sit back and breathe. It's it's a. Uh, you start accusing people with with barely any grounds, um, and then those people, those those people that you do trust, turn out to be fracking Cylons. Still a little bitter there. <laughs> and they move your civilian ships right into the line of fire, and all your people die. Oh dear. <laughs> Well, you guys had it coming. So, also in uh, in the wide world, uh, big news from um, uh, Wizards of the Coast. They're making a big change to how they are producing D&D miniatures in the future. Uh, for, you know, it used to be that they would just have uh, a set come out. There'd be 60 miniatures, eight of them randomly packaged in a box, and they cost about 15 bucks. 
uh, they have changed it, uh, which is interesting. You know, they've got two games going on with those miniatures, the, their miniature game and then the role-playing game. And the, it's always been tough for the role-players because to get eight random miniatures is a little tough to fit into your campaign. Well, now they're changing it to be more RPG-centric and less miniature game-centric. They're going to have PC boxes where you get, I think, three PCs in it. And I don't remember what the price is. Um, so there are three miniatures that are, make good player characters. These will be your dwarves, elves, humans, halflings, etc. And then you'll have monster packs that I believe have about five monsters in them, uh, random as well. Um, it's a very interesting um, turn of events. And I, in fact, I believe in the packages, one of the miniatures will be visible. So it's like still blind purchase, but kind of not. And you're kind of getting what you want, sort of. Uh, the the downside to this is miniature gamers won't uh, have as easy a time as doing you know sealed tournaments. Also, the price is going up. The, they're definitely jacking up the price on these now, so it'll be a little bit more expensive. Uh, I don't know how I feel. I do love Dungeons and Dragons miniatures. I'll probably still keep buying them. But the thing that worries me is if I'm getting three heroes in a box, how many times am I going to get repeats on those? As it is now, it works pretty good. So I'm curious to see where that goes in the future. Do you guys buy D and D minis at all? I would buy D and D minis, uh, but but I haven't yet. Uh, it's not to say that that I don't think it's a worthwhile uh, endeavor to spend your money on. But um, we just got into fourth edition, and I just kind of been kind of scrambling together other figures that I have. Uh, and and the PC box uh, interests me quite a bit uh, because I mean it all depends on how many how high the price is going. How high am I gonna of uh, a price am I gonna have to pay to to get the PCs. For me, it's still blind purchase, so it's still a tough sell for me. If I could go out and get six Cobalts because I'm going to be playing Cobalts and I can just go to the store and buy those, that would be a far more interest to me than than the way it is now with the blind purchase. Yeah, I think I've actually purchased about three times as many miniatures online singly from um, the various uh, um, websites than I actually have in the boxes. So that's money I'm actually giving to the little retailers out there, and really aren't giving to Wizards of the Coast. So and and I, it just does it doesn't make sense. I, I mean, the, the industry is clearly moving towards uh, what you see is what you get, and I mean, and the proof in that is that the blind purchase games are becoming what you see is what you can get. It's just it's becoming that way as a secondary market. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens, uh, but that's the news with D and D miniatures. Uh, Starcraft, we uh, Truth and I reviewed the Starcraft the board game last year. It was a great game, one of the better ones of 2007. Fantasy Flight has announced they're making an expansion for it called Brood Wars. You'll have a lot of new units in it and all sorts of extra goodies. So definitely something to look out for. I'm sure it'll be released five years from now or so, but uh, it'll definitely be good. Uh, also, a game that I've mentioned previously in the podcast is Song of Blades and uh, Song of Blades and Heroes. It's a sort of a generic do-it-yourself miniatures uh, kit. Uh, rules for fantasy miniatures. Absolutely love it, and I'm glad to see that a lot of people uh, on uh, HeroScapers have actually gotten into it as well. Uh, they just released their third expansion, which is Song of Wind and Water, which is some wilderness rules. Um, so you might want to check that out if you're already into it. Um, in terms of disclosure, I, I did. You will see my name on there. I did help play test it but it was a it was a very minor thing i think it's uh if you like song of blades and heroes it's gonna um give you some cool new stuff lots of new powers for your minis uh also D 
D&D Adventurer's Vaults. Um, those of you who have played 4th Edition, and we're about to talk about that in a little bit, know that there's actually very few magic items in the player's handbook. It's just weapons and armor, and if you're a DM, you're going to run out of stuff to give to people. Uh, so uh, Wizards just released the Adventurer's Vault. It's a giant hardback book of just gear, treasure. Um, it's pretty cool. I picked it up recently myself. It's got thousands of items, and there's a lot of stuff missing that you'll have missed from previous editions, and a lot of cool new things, too. So if you're into D&D &D and you're looking for toys to throw at your players, it's a great... Uh, Good purchase. Um, Fantasy Flight. This was kind of a shocker. Sort of. Maybe. Uh, Fantasy Flight and Rackham have decided to separate uh, with the intent of divorce, I believe. Um, Fantasy Flight has been selling Rackham's AT43 and Confrontation Minis, which are really cool. Pre-painted mini uh, miniatures. They're some of the best I've ever seen. But um, they're going their separate ways. Uh, there's different... Um, Different speculation uh, on uh, there's speculation on why that might be. Some people have said Rackham's dumping Fantasy Flight. Some people say Fantasy Flight just can't sell the stuff. What do you guys think? Have either of you played the games? Have you? Do you know of people who play them? I've seen the games, but the manual was not something where I could sit down and play somebody else's copy. Now you say you've seen it. Did you see boxes of the game, or have you actually seen people play it? No, I've just seen like the miniatures and that. I, I mean, I was just over at a friend's house that had it, and I would have liked to play it, but uh, you know, it would have been a. He hadn't even read the rules yet, so it, it seemed rules heavy for my style of of gameplay. Yeah, it's more forty uh, Warhammer forty thousand Warhammer Fantasy than it is like Hero Escape. It's a shame. I mean, I don't know why the game wouldn't sell. The miniatures are beautiful, and I think they're reasonably priced for what you get. Um, so, frankly, I'm kind of surprised. Some people have actually speculated that the um, non-blind purchase, the non-collectible stuff, can't sell in the same way that uh, blind purchase does. What do you guys think of that? Well, everyone knows when, you know, when you go and purchase a blind purchase product, uh, you know, you're going to end up spending more money nine times out of ten, at least when you're trying to to collect the game, because you're going to you're going to end up getting you know two thirds of the product over again in order to get that last one third. Um, so because of that, it ends up being a money maker for the the company itself. So a, a non-blind purchase, um, a what you see is what you get product that maybe doesn't have as much, a big of a draw, definitely is going to have a take a hit uh, sales wise. But at some point. At some point, gamers are going to have to decide that that they won't put up with blind purchase anymore. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm not a proponent for blind purchase. I hate blind purchase. Um, but I, I, I can understand why, you know, a, a product that is uh, what you see is what you get is not selling as well as a blind purchase. That sounds retarded. It makes perfect sense in a way because there is that draw. When you buy that box, there is that bit of excitement that comes with it when you're tearing it open tearing open that that satisfying cardboard ripping through the plastic seeing what you got it is kind of fun but then there's that letdown hey i didn't get miniature x you know what i got some more money i'll go buy another box so th there is an appeal to it i just wonder if that appeal isn't limited mostly to children I mean, I've bought Blind Purchase. I've enjoyed certain games, but for the most part, I don't like it. I wonder if it's only really to appeal to children. I, I just, I'm not a proponent of it at all. I think it's, I think it's a flawed system. I think that, that, 
I mean, a, a company that respects its client, I think, has to be considerate of them. And, uh, and you know, if it didn't sell well as a what you see is, is what you get, then, then maybe it's just not a good enough sell. That's what I think. I think blind purchase should have stayed where it began, and that's with, you know, cards and trading card games. I mean, where it's a two ninety nine, a three ninety nine, even a four ninety nine initial purchase, that's okay as a blind purchase because you know you're getting a good variety, um, and it's not that much of a hit to go back and get that repeat purchase to try again. Yeah, but but you're saying that, and there are people who've gone into bankruptcy because they rang up credit cards buying Magic Pack after Magic Pack. So I I don't know because I mean like consider like a um, D and D miniatures pack. There's 60 miniatures in a series. Uh, the series don't come out that close to each other. So there's time to you know fiddle around. But you're only looking for 60 guys. A magic set comes out and you got what? How many hundreds of cards? And they come out pretty frequently and pretty close to each other. So I would say it's probably just as bad with those cards. You can justify it <laughs> maybe a little bit easier, but in the end I think it's gonna be just as bad. Well, at the end of the day, blind purchase is one thing. It's forcing people to continue to buy a game in order to find the game. And I think most serious people um, can find that offensive. Actually, you know, I said that and I sound like an elitist jerk. Um, I shouldn't say that. There are lots of people who enjoy it and they're very serious gamers. That's stupid. But um, really, it is buying the game to find the game. And a lot of us find that kind of offensive, I suppose. Well, I'm sorry for uh, for Fantasy Flight for losing that. I hope they haven't lost too much money on it. It seemed like a cool product. I would have bought into it, you know, if I were them. Okay, let's do another keep or crap, and let's talk about D&D 4th Edition. This, of course, anytime there's a new edition of D&D, it's a huge deal. Dungeons & Dragons, it's the original hobby game. It's dearly loved. It's a big deal. So, Wizards of the Coast, um, according to some people, just kicked fans right in the teeth and changed a lot of the rules, completely revamped it, and uh, it's been uh, it's been quite controversial. We had the chance, three of us and uh, a couple others, we had Grunge Bob and Drink More Guinness, as well as Mrs. The Guru, um, and we all sat down during Gen Con and played a game of D&D 4th Edition. It is a bit more miniatures heavy. Um, it's more powers-centric. Each person has their own unique powers based on what kind of skills they have. Fighters have different martial powers. Um, you know, wizards have arcane, warlocks have, um, whatever warlocks have, <laughs> uh, clerics have <laughs> divine powers. But, uh, while the game has changed, I still find it kind of interesting. Uh, Truth, what are your thoughts on D&D 4th Edition? You were, uh, you played as what? I played as a rogue when we played. Is that what you asked? What I yeah. played as? Yeah. Yeah. I played yeah. as a rogue I, and, and I enjoyed it, um, I think I'm a better GM than I am a player, but or DM, I guess it's Dungeon Master. Uh, but for me, I mean, a lot of the old players are complaining about the new edition, and I guess that's what gamers do. They, they complain. Are you all right what? over there? <laughs> what, the, what the hell are you doing? I apologize. Chris. Again. I apologize. Dude, do you not get the concept of recording audio? <laughs> no, I get the concept of recording audio. Mrs. The Guru does not because she needed her dinner. <laughs> Are you recording from a microwave, Chris? No, there is a microwave <laughs> that's on. That's what it sounded like. They know the microwave's on. Say, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. I was hungry. I didn't know it would show up. 
Wait, is the microwave in the office? No, I'm, I'm in the living room. I've been very quiet. Uh, okay, what was I saying? Uh, oh, a lot, a lot of people complain about 4th edition coming out because it changes all the rules and blah, 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 blah. And I guess, you know, complaining should be expected. That's uh, That's what happens when you mess with somebody's passion or hobby. But for me, Wizards did exactly what they needed to do to get me involved. Uh, I needed a good jump on point, and 4th edition was perfect for that because everything I was hearing was that you can pick up and run this game uh, as a dungeon master, um, and and you can you can feel confident in doing it. And so I went out, and I got 4th edition, and I got their first little uh, adventure for uh, first level players. It was like first through fourth level players or something like that, and I, I've just been running a game session out of that and my gamers have all enjoyed it and I get enjoyment from them getting enjoyment. So, uh, I think it's a grand slam success for, for the me's out there in the world. Yeah. I will say that, um, I've been through every edition of D and D and in every time they've changed it, there's been a huge outcry from people because they love it dearly. And really the outcry is kind of a good thing because people care about it. They want it to be all right. In every edition, there's always those people who say, I'll never stop playing edition X. And they'll, you know, explain what they got good reasons to do so. And that's fine. That's cool. They, they like that. Um, but I think, the overwhelming, uh, I think the feedback overall for this edition has been rather positive. Uh, Guru, what uh, what did you play during our Gen Con adventure? Oh, geez, you know what? I don't even remember. You played a tiefling uh, warlock. Yeah, a warlock, that's right. My- I'm glad it was so memorable for you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the game, I just didn't remember my character. Um, no, you know what? I'm more of a casual D&D player. You know, I've played, you know, in a couple of campaigns. I jump in on my brother's weekly campaign every once in a while. Um, and, and I really like this version. I really thought that from the get-go, from level one, um, it, it's, it, it has a lot, a lot of stuff to keep you interested. A lot of, your character can do a lot more. It's a lot easier to build it. it, it I, I feel like it's geared more towards the casual gamer. And then as you build your character, um, you know, there's obviously the um, uh, expansion books and everything to, to keep... Um, to get into the more hardcore themes and everything that a lot of people st- uh, complained was missing from uh, the new edition, just main player's handbook. Yeah, you know what kills me about it? There's uh, one of the complaints people have about D&D 4th edition is that it gets rid of the role-playing, that it's just the tactical aspect. Tell that to Jerry. And that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, tell that to Grunge Bob. Uh, Grunge Bob in the campaign um, was an ornery um, bastard, <laughs> he uh, he fought with the other players every step of the way. In fact, I think really for me the best part of the game was when he and Mrs. the Guru got into a fight and ended up pushing each other into a lake. That was uh, <laughs> it was quite good. But really, the role playing is only gone if the dungeon master lets it be gone. It's still D and D. It's not meant to be just a series of fights. There's all sorts of other stuff that goes with it too. So if you're playing a campaign, it's only fights. You know, fight after fight, you're doing it wrong. I mean, one of the cool things this camp, uh, these new rules have is rules for role-playing encounters with people that are social encounters, you know, where you have to sort of figure out a secret from someone. You're, you're trying to, you know, bluff them, get insight, intimidate them, whatever. There's actually uh, a nice uh, set of rules for it where you can actually even earn experience from it. So role-playing can actually be encouraged in some ways more in this edition than in others. Um, and yeah, and as Chris, uh, sorry, as the guru said, um, 
there's definitely a lot more to do at level one. You are a hero at level one, and you can kick some butt. It may not be the biggest, baddest butt in the world, but you can still do some pretty cool stuff. And you're now uh, nowhere near as fragile as you used to be. People died at level one. You were made out of tissue paper. And now you're a little bit tougher, and you can... Uh, take a beating and hand it out as well i just get a kick out of how it could be perceived as negative that that there's that it's just a tactical gaming now oh now it's just a miniatures game uh i i mean i'm not gonna pretend that i'm entirely familiar with the third or 3.5 edition rules but i think anything that helps uh define uh how how define in a simple way how something's supposed to be carried out in the game world is is a good thing uh, i don't see how it can be painted as a bad thing right and like if you look at some of the stuff they got rid of from previous editions you know i remember editions where if you were flying on a mount there were rules for mounted aerial combat where you had to like measure your speed and there were rules for wheeling in the sky it was ridiculously complex and I love that it. it's it's simplified so that people can just let their imaginations and ideas jump in there without being weighed down by velocity. By rules, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, a good if you if you're running a good campaign, it seems to me that you should be able to handle anything that the players throw at you. You shouldn't have to look up a rule for every little like how fast is the mount flying and all that. I, I mean, if they want to say, well, you know, I want to. Uh, do a loop in the air and try to wind up behind them. Okay, make this roll. That seems like that seems like a perfect uh, situation to be in to let imaginations run wild. Yeah, and uh, as a DM too, I'd say the fourth edition is your friend. The monsters are no longer; they don't have the exact same stats as heroes. Uh, I used to spend hours before a session statting up monsters, and that's gone now. The templates are super easy. Plus one this, plus one this, plus one this. And he has this sword now. I mean, it's super easy. I can throw together... I can spend all my time creating cool stories and throw together an encounter that's satisfying in just a few minutes. So, it's a good deal. Overall, what do you guys think of this? So it sounds positive? Keep? That's a keeper. Yeah, it's definitely right. a keeper for me. Yeah, I, I, I like it very much. Uh, I gotta say, I was doing a third edition campaign. It was really getting kind of stale. People were a little tired of it. I railed against the idea of using miniatures for D and D. I said it get in the way of imagination. And as soon as I switched over to using minis and using fourth edition, it completely reinvigorated everything. And we're having a lot more fun now than we were previously. Our next segment is called "It Gives Me Pleasure." <laughs> uh, it- <laughs> Each of us is going to talk about one of the games we're currently playing that uh, is sort of a guilty pleasure. I'll go first. Mine, I have to confess, is Munchkin. Now, Munchkin's one of those games you get and you like the first time around, or most of us do, and then the jokes get kind of old. And I put it on the shelf. I've been ready to trade it. I'm almost embarrassed to say I'm I'm a fan of Munchkin. I really don't like it much anymore. But some of my uh, gaming group demanded I bring it out, and we had a blast playing it. So uh, definitely we'll be playing it some more, I'm afraid. I won't be training off anytime soon, so that's my, that's my guilty pleasure. Guru, what's yours? Uh, mine, I'm very sad and embarrassed to say, is uh, World of Warcraft. Um, I actually turned off my account a couple of months ago um, in the guise of being able to play more traditional board games. Um, and yeah, yeah, no, I, I reactivated it, and uh, there's a new patch out, and it's gearing up towards the expansion, and I couldn't be more excited. I don't feel like I know you anymore. 
Hey, what can I say? All right. <laughs> Truth, do you have anything that's non-WoW? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I happened to pick up a copy of Rover Rally just because I found it cheap. and <laughs> Dude, Rover Rally's awesome. And, uh, yeah, well, I didn't really know that much about it when I picked it up. And, you know, I just knew it had a had a good price tag and that I had heard of it before. And so uh, I brought a few games over to a friend's house and was like, well, you want to play this, this, or this? And and uh, they all picked Robo Rally and they wanted to see what that was like. And uh, we had a blast with it. I mean, the game is inherently flawed in a lot of ways, at, but it, it's also it's also just fun if you're playing it with the right people. And and it's it's fun to watch somebody screw up their cards and end up in a hole, and, and then you all point and laugh at them. <laughs> That's always a good time, really. Uh, anything else you guys was, are playing right also, now? Um, it was also the fact that it was designed by Richard Garfield was a good for me because a lot of my friends will not, will not play Magic the Gathering with me. I will beg them, and they refuse me uh, because of the fact that kids at their at their high school, when they went to high school, uh, played Magic the Gathering, and they were the biggest geeks and would get beat up and thrown into lockers. And so they will not play magic, the gathering because uh, magic, the gathering is for utter losers. And, and they, there might be some truth to that, but do you think maybe they're not playing with you for other reasons <laughs> too? Possible. I, Cause I've seen him. Too. I was there at Gen Con <laughs> and just so everyone knows truth was rolling around naked in a pile of cards, laughing maniacally, rubbing them all they over his bring body. Me it was disgusting. Pleasure. <laughs> but, but uh but the the fact that i could say oh no the guy who who designed magic the gathering designed this and they're all having so much fun with it that it, it gave me a little bit of of ground to work with maybe in the future yeah, yeah just- robo rally is a cool old game it's a little flawed like you said but it, it's fun uh, any other games you guys are playing right now you'd want to just shout out about well, I was going to say Robo Rally, for, but he stole that thunder. Yeah, way to go. Yeah, right? Yeah, for me, I got to admit, uh, Gen Con was really good, and I am still obsessed with Battlestar Galactica, as well as A Touch of Evil. Right now, those are the two games I am playing the most of, easily. I'm working yeah. on it. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's okay. I'm, I'm working on a game of my own, and that's been kind of consuming our playing time. It's really been popular amongst my, my group of uh, local players. So we've been playing the crap out of that. So I'll keep you updated on what happens with that. Is it just magic, but you've redesigned it so they don't know they're playing you magic? Oh, I know, but that's a good idea. <laughs> that is a good idea. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I can, maybe I can design, like, WYSIWYG magic and talk them into playing it. Yeah, see, you kind of scared me there because you sounded sincere. You're yeah, like, you really did. Idea. <laughs> I, I am sincere. Just get ready. <laughs> Get ready. You got a red deck? You got a red deck? I need a red deck. I need a red deck. It's coming. Well, I, it's, not that, it's not that I fiend that bad for magic. It's that I fiend for free Magic the Gathering cards because that's what the price should be. Free. <laughs> not, not, that's no right, slight there. on magic, but like... I, you commie bastard. <laughs> I like... You know what I really like? I like when a new set comes out and... And this is the first time done in a while with the with their new shards of whatever set. But uh, where you go to one of those sites that sell the rare cards for like fifty dollars a piece, and you buy up all the cards from the packs they had to open that they don't want, all those commons, and you can get like five hundred cards from the new set for like nine ten dollars. Uh, and 
and you know the the style I play. I you know I don't play with other collectors. Uh, people who are playing with me are using my cards. I love that. We'll do uh, because I mean you can play it out of the box with nobody says you can't play it out of the box with just all commons and it works perfectly fine and it's uh, completely enjoyable. Yeah, I do the same thing with D&D minis. I just, um, yeah, I, I don't want to buy up a lot of boxes. I'm not going to chase after those $50 rare miniatures. But man, those commons, like, you know, I actually want a lot of, like, Space Experiment and Archers, go online and I buy them for just a few cents. And I, I have, you know, huge amounts of miniatures that I haven't spent very much money on. All right. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to talk about is um, a lot of board gamers are also video gamers, and uh, sometimes, you know, the, the lines blur for us. There's a new game that just came out I wanted to talk about. Uh, it's been released for the Wii as well as the PS2. It's called Dokopan Kingdom. Now, if you look at this thing, uh, it's going to look like a cheesy, you know, Japanese role-playing game. Lots of fluffy, big, sparkly eyes and stuff like that. It, it looks ridiculous. But what's interesting about this game is it's calling itself part board game, part RPG. And if you take a look at it, really what it is is a game like Talisman, where players are moving around a board, fighting monsters, building up their stats, and they're all racing to be the first to accomplish an objective. Uh, it's very interesting. I mean, it even has board game mechanics. You spin a spinner for movement. You spin the spinner for combat. Uh, so it looks exactly like someone has taken an adventure board game and put it onto a console, which I'm a little excited about because, of course, if you put it on a console, you can put twice as much details into it. Dokopan Kingdom lets you rob, you know, you know, find secrets, locations over seven continents, rob stores, frame crimes and other players. Basically, it's a beat-up-on-your-friends kind of game. It looks really cool, so if anyone has a chance to check it out, wants to uh, say something about it, please do so on Heroescapers. Let us know what you think. It's kind of exciting that it's basically one of our hobby games made into a console game. Is, is there any real online play for the Wii, or is it just like random opponent play? Uh, no, it's uh, it's uh, basically it's still like a party game, like Mario Party. Uh -huh. You've got you got a controller, and you can just pass it around. So it's, you're playing with four people who are right there with you. So there is no online. Sadly not. Uh, I hope that the game's a success or enough of one that they will try and do that as well. Um, but they they advertise. They call it the friendship-breaking game. It's definitely a screw-over-the-other-guy kind of game. It looks good. They, like If you beat another player in combat, you can do things. You can humiliate them. You can um, draw on their face. You can shave their head, change their clothes. Ridiculous stuff. So it looks... Uh, in fact, go to their website. If you go to um, atlas.com, you can see a trailer for uh, Dokopan Kingdom. It looks hilarious. So I, I have not purchased it, but I definitely plan on doing so in the future. I'll have to check that out. All right, out. guys. We've got one last keeper crap for this podcast, and that is a bit more HeroScape related. We have Lexan Maps, uh, made by HeroScapers.com's own Cavalier. Uh, he's been producing these maps, uh, selling them, um, through various channels uh, for a little while now. And basically these are big plastic sheets that you can roll out and they've got a hex grid on them so you can uh, use them to sort of replace that the most basic layer of terrain, that uh, bottommost layer of terrain. Uh, he was kind enough to send some to the podcast so we could check it out or review copy. And uh, I've played around with them and I have to say I'm pretty impressed. I had actually shied away from the mats because I wasn't really sure how practical they'd be for me. I love the terrain. I didn't see any need to replace it. And what I found was a pretty cool product that wasn't quite what I was expecting. Uh, these are basically plastic sheets 
very, very thin, but kind of surprisingly durable that you roll out on your table. They've got terrain already printed on them in hex shapes, and you can just build maps off of it. Um, the obvious idea is that you can save things like your precious grass hexes or even water. You want to do tons of water, you can use one of his Lexan maps uh, to do it. Um, but I was so impressed with them, I started looking at other things, and they're actually really useful. Like, for instance, there's the Pirates collectible game. I, I bought some of those a while back. I didn't like using the measuring sticks, but I didn't have enough HeroScape water to use. I used a Lexan map and was able to play Pirates on it uh, really easily. Uh, there's a ton of uses for these maps. I was kind of impressed. Uh, Battletech, um, you could do D&D, &D, you could do pretty much any miniature game. If you like to do homebrew rules, it's a great tool. Uh, what do you guys think? I like them a lot. I mean, they're cool in that if you're going to have a large uh, area of, of mat, chances are you've got to go with, what, paper or maybe like the vinyl where they have these creases that form in them or you have to lay them perfectly flat for storage. These roll up real nice. You get like a mailing tube and stick them in there, and every time they roll out perfectly flat. So um, I, I like the material a lot and, and think that they're very handy. Yeah, I got a water map at, uh, at a tournament a while back, and I use it all the time. It's great because it, it saves you from having to place a, a ton of water on a map if you're using a large water map or any kind of terrain. I mean, I've, I've seen he's got you know, the lava, he's got the city terrain, he's got all sorts of different varieties, and I think it's a great idea. Yeah, and I know he's got a bunch of different types coming out in the future, not just hexes, um, but, you know, square grids and things like that. The hexes are great, though, because, you know, for us playing HeroScape, it's hard to find a hex map that's got the exact same size as our tiles. So it's really useful. Um, you know, you've probably all seen different maps out there with islands on water. I've always wanted to do a big island map, a big island hopping map, but I couldn't because I didn't have enough water, and the map really makes all the difference. So... Uh, definitely keep, I think. And, um, you know, in a time when HeroScape is dry right now, there's no new products coming out. Uh, these things seem like a pretty cool alternative to collect. They're pretty inexpensive um, for what you get. Uh, also, for people like you, uh, you Marvel scapers out there, you know, it doesn't look like we're getting much more, at least no, you know, uh, no time in the near future. Um, he made some really cool road uh, Lexan maps for Marvelscape use. So if you're out there and you want to do buildings and stuff, man, that's a, a great way to do it. Agreed. Keeper. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this new segment uh, that we're uh, debuting tonight could be uh, a little controversial. At least it is to me. Uh, it's called Let's Kick Bistro in the Pants. Uh, apparently, uh, we had a young gentleman call up recently. I don't remember what his name was, but he had some, uh, frankly, unfair and uh, brusque words to share about me. Uh, it's Heroscape uh, Elfie is, that name, is the name you're looking for. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's right. I can't remember. But um, apparently other people decided to follow his lead. And um, Truth, you said we've had some phone calls. Uh, people complaining about uh, me? Somebody did call in. Somebody was inspired by Heroscape Elfie. This, this someone uh, finally felt like he was free to express himself after the brave thing that Heroescape Alfie did on behalf of us all. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and give it a listen, uh, though I'd like to just say it once again for the record, uh, this is not with my consent. Go ahead. Postscape Talk, this is Colby Dowk. Uh, many of you out there in Internet land may know me as Screwing Truth or the co-host of Scape Talk. And, you know, I just I, I had to get something off my chest. I heard there's going to be a new section on Tape Talk. I have to edit all of these 
escape talks, and they go on much longer than what you hear. And, you know, it wouldn't be so bad. I wouldn't have to edit out nearly as much as if half of the time on the show wasn't spent uh, with me editing out Bistro, arguing with his wife in the background and throwing things and then sobbing into the microphone for an additional 30 minutes. I feel a lot better getting that off my chest. Uh, I feel a lot better sharing that with somebody. I thought it needed to get out. Thanks. Wow, awkward. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, my mom told me there were times when you shared something with people, and I think a public forum is perhaps not the best time to do so. But uh, thank you, friend, Truth, for your candor and your honesty. <clears throat> we're going to now move on to our most illustrious segment, perhaps the one uh, that has the most zip and sparkle to it. It's called Farts in the Wind. And that's where you, dear listener, get to uh, send us an email or call us in on our phone line, and we play it or read it on uh, on the podcast. So let's dip into the mailbag and see what people had to say. All right. This first email is from uh, G-Man. He says, Hi, Truth Bistro. Really like the podcast. Please keep it going. I was wondering if there were any other Gen Cons besides Gen Con Indy. He lives in Seattle, Washington, and would not like to trek to Indiana every year if he had another option. Well, yes. Yes, there is. There's actually, where is it? Somewhere in California, guys? Comic Con? No, there's actually, there's two Gen Cons. Oh, yeah, yeah. There is another Gen Con in California. Yeah, yeah good news, G-Man. There's, there's one a lot closer to you. Um, if you just go to the Gen Con website, you'll see it. I, I haven't been there, so I don't know if it's as, as good as the one in Indy or not. I but, understand yeah. that it's not. That Indy is the big one, but, uh, I mean, it's something for you. Hey, yeah. And, and actually, if, you're, if your interest is Hasbro, Hasbro is, seems to be, at least in our, our experience with HeroScape, attends Comic-Con a little more regularly than it does the California Gen Con. Actually, I'm checking the Gen Con website right now. They don't even list that anymore. Oh, really? you know what? They went through that whole like financial thing. Maybe they dropped it from the roster. Maybe okay, Australia's well, closer to him. <laughs> I lied to you, Graham. There's there's nothing. <laughs> You're in a desolate wasteland of nothingness. That's not true either. There's there's conventions all over and at all different times of all different sizes. But Gen Con Indy is the biggest, and it is going to have the biggest HeroScape presence just because that's the one that those of us who run HeroScapers.com go to. Yeah, and I'll tell you, G-Man, it's worth the long trip. There are plenty of folks who make a long trek just as long as yours. Um, if you can do it, it is worthwhile. Buy those plane tickets early when they're cheap. Buy them months and months in advance. It'll definitely be worth your time. It's one of the best uh, gaming experiences I've had. Yeah, you, you you probably don't want to fly all the way from California if you're only into HeroScape. I mean, maybe you do. It depends on your level of, of passion and commitment, but... Uh, but if you're a gamer in general, you'll find out it's a it's a mecca for games. Yeah, it definitely not if you're only into HeroScape. You want to be really into a lot of stuff. You know, this year we had the biggest turnout of HeroScapers ever, and what we found was that it was impossible for everyone to hang out. There were like so many of us that there were probably at any given time five or six different things going on at once. So um, come prepared to do lots and lots of different things, but uh, make the trip if you can. Okay, I've got one from Sir Artorius. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And um, he just had a little quick uh, line to drop. He said, even though Mr. Bistro's name 
is not as manly as Heroescape Elfie, his voice is. So you do have a fan out there. Awesome. Well, I uh, I appreciate that. Uh, I think this is just further proof that Heroescape Elfie is full of crap. I just like to <laughs> go on record as saying that. All right, then. Fine, f- fine upstanding man, Sir Artorius. All right, we've got an email from Mark Oliver. It says, hello, everyone. I'm Frozen Samurai Warrior Guy, and I'm sending a shout-out from Anchorage, Alaska. So I'm a hardcore gamer, and I'm into Heroescape, but as with everything else, it takes forever for me and my buds to get the latest sets and promos up here. This poses a problem because I've quickly become the best player I know. Okay, getting a little, uh, <laughs> kind of a big head there, uh, guy. Oh, you're scared. <laughs> and- <laughs> I can hear the sound of it expanding from here. <laughs> He's so humble. <laughs> and nobody will play, huh, w- without the new sets to better their chances. Because as you may have guessed, I'm a samurai god. <laughs> well, <laughs> on, on a different I gotta, note. I got to tell you, it's probably not the character, the, the, the units that are causing people not to play with you. It might not. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, tell you, Mark, um, <laughs> I, I wish the best of luck. There's a lot of good ways to get Hero Escape online, places like House Mouse, um, that, that aren't going to put you back much more than if you were going to a store anyway. Um, but maybe you might consider other options, such as being a good sport, <laughs> um, getting along with other players, not arguing rules, <laughs> things like that. Um, those are just good tips for friendship in general. So, <laughs> you'll find uh, the girls come around in a little bit quicker too <laughs> when you're uh, when you're not when calling you're... yourself a samurai god. Yes. Uh, so anyway, but uh, Mark goes on to say, on a different note, I'd just like to say that I'm also a big player of D&D, and I'm currently the dungeon master for a sad group of seven helpless misfits, and the mention of D&D is a shame game by Mr. Bistro upsets me greatly. I stand loud and proud and let the world know that I'm a Dungeons & Dragons advocate till the day I die, just as any player worth his salt should be. What did he just um, call his friends that play Dungeons & Dragons with them? <laughs> a sad group of seven helpless misfits. <laughs> Mark, I'm going to say this, and I, I say this as a friend. You're coming across as a little overbearing. <laughs> no, uh, no, actually, I, I know what you're saying, Mark. And yeah, I did say it was a guilty pleasure a couple podcasts ago. Uh, but, you know, I, I grew up in a different time than you, probably. I, I'm just guessing. I have no idea how old you are. But, you know, when D&D first came out, it truly was nerds only. So, um you know, those of us who wanted to have other parts to our lives, we kind of hit it and we got used to it. It's a little bit different now. D&D has become almost as mainstream as video games. So, hey, good on you that you can can be like that. I never will be. <laughs> so, all right. Thanks, Mark. Uh, Guru, what do you have? Uh, my next email is from Marisol from Germany. And uh, he explains how expensive Heroscape is in Germany by laying out the costs uh, for each individual set. Uh, which is very detailed. Um, and then he asks, do you know if Wizards of the Coast will distribute a localized Heroscape in Europe, first of all in Germany, um, so maybe the prices will drop a little bit more? Don't they even care about Europe and Germany? <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, we, we totally feel your pain, uh, Marzal, absolutely. But um, there's nothing happening in the U.S., so if there's nothing happening here... I I just I yeah, can't it see them. So for you guys, yeah, I, I, I we're wonder, sorry. You know, I wonder like uh, what German board games, Euro games go for over in Europe. I wonder if they're cheaper there 
I mean, because because we must pay for uh, for some sort of of uh, across the seas shipping. Well, see, in Marzel's case too, he's not just buying the games; he has to buy the English version. And I know that when people import the German games, you know, the German language games, that is true. It can cost them a lot of money too. So, yeah, yeah, it's that's it, tough. You know, you know, we get the German stuff; it's been translated, it's marketed just for us, so it's a little different. But all we can say is good luck, Marzel. We hope you're able to find some stuff. Yeah, it's tough going being a being a fan of American style games in Europe. I'm sure. Okay, so I have an email. Uh, and and right on the front of it, they, they made sure to note this is a joint email, which I'm sure that meant they were holding hands while typing this. And it said, uh, after listening to number oh, 19... Wait. I'm sorry, who's this from? Oh, it, it, it's from Elfie and Scottish Lad. Oh, I see. Continue. And, and, uh, and they said, after listening to number 19, I'm guessing they mean Scape Talk uh, episode 19... We would like you to post a picture of Hanorama wearing Bungie's shirt, preferably drunk. Our $10, $5 each, is en route to Bistro and Truth because we don't like Han. And I believe the shirt they're referring to is Bungie's uh, D20 shirt. Yes, they're natural 20s. Yeah, I, I'd like to. Um, I like everyone to sort of gather around uh, their computer right now or their iPod, whatever you're listening to this on. Let's all just sort of get together. And just have a little moment together. Uh, guys, I'm real happy for you that you're sort of exploring uh, your place in the world right now. But I find it a little disturbing that underage youths are asking a grown man to get drunk and wear a T-shirt that says, yes, they're natural 20s. Um, I think maybe you got some issues to work out. In either case, Hanorama, well a drunk, and well probably easily talked into wearing Bungie's shirt, <laughs> <laughs> is not going to put it on and photograph himself for you guys. Um, I'd just like to also go on record as saying I have said some words about Hero Escape Elfie in the past. I stand by him. <laughs> I stand by him. <laughs> you did it to yourself, Elfie. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like to know, uh, just out of curiosity, later on in the future, why this was decided to be a, uh, a joint email. I'm kind of curious <laughs> about that. Yeah, <laughs> that is odd. All right, our next uh, next e uh, email comes from Torog, who says, So this is completely irrelevant and unimportant to Heroescape. However, why do certain avatars appear to be wearing hats of a sort? And by the way, Mr. Bistro, I like your avatar, even if he is a smiling jackass with a Frenchy Frenchman title. Okay, I, I think that's a compliment. I'm not sure. Thanks. Um, the, the hats I think you're referring to are the Gen Con hats, uh, which have been talked about all over the boards. Uh, one year, the first Gen Con where some Heroescapers were getting together, they did a group photo, and some guy just jumped in wearing a Naruto, or Naruto, however it's pronounced, uh, stupid-looking bonnet thingy, and everyone kind of made fun of it. So as a joke, each year before Gen Con, uh, Heroescapers going to Gen Con will put on their war bonnet and add that little bonnet to their avatar. It's just us being dumb butts, that's all. So uh, that's why you see them, and you'll probably notice by this point they've all gone away. Um, my next email's from PJ Keller, and he asks, Can you give us a take on Oko for a Heroescape fan's perspective? Huh. Anyone uh, seen Oko or played around with it? I have no idea what that is. Don't even know what it is. It's, uh, it's a new miniature game uh, set in feudal Japan. It looks pretty cool. Um I, honestly, PJ, we haven't, uh, and because it's the kind of game you really have to buy into being a miniature game, I can say I myself will not probably be doing it unless 
someone's able to convince me it's uh has healing powers or something. I've just got so many Mitra games going on, I haven't had a chance to uh to try it. It looks cool, it looks pretty, but I think you gotta paint the miniatures. Uh, it comes with a playmat, but you really gotta build your own terrain to get the most out of it. So, being a heroescaper, uh, I'm just not gonna do that kind of work. Uh, but if anyone on the boards, uh, has played this and, have, you know, wants to share with PJ what they think, definitely post about it. Uh, I'd be interested in seeing your comments too. It's a good question. There you go. So, I've got an email from Scottish Lad. You'll remember him as, uh, Heroescape Elfie's hand holding, uh, friend. And, he, his email is entitled Warhammer, and he says, Hey guys, this is Scottish Lad. I was wondering what your thoughts on this game are. It seems to be one of the more hated games by HeroScape fans. I'd like to know more. I'd like to know what you think about this game. What do you guys think? I I don't think about it much. I, I mean, I know that it's a hobby mainstay, so it, it has to have some sort of merit, but I have myself not ever played it. Yeah, the thought of painting miniatures just turns me away from any kind of game, so I have not had a chance to play it. Yeah, uh, Scottish Lad, I used to play Warhammer and 40K. Um, I love them. They're really good games. they got solid rules, and they've got the most beautiful miniatures. Um, but it's just, it was too much money for me. I want to delve into other things other than just Warhammer. So, uh, and plus I don't have the time to paint. That's why I got into Heroescape specifically as I left those games. So they're fine. They're fine games. They're, they're great. There's a reason why they've been around for so long. Um, but you gotta be prepared to invest some serious money and even more serious amounts of time. There you go. I said that once already. <laughs> I want you to say, there you go. After <laughs> the end of every email. <laughs> I, thought right, that's, not, I thought that's just so you'd know where to cut. <laughs> no, that's me, me, me being retarded. Well, then I'm going to follow it up with, all right. <laughs> so you know, Chris, I say all right before everything I say on the podcast. I just cut out most of them. <laughs> it's true. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You <laughs> can't stop it. I can't stop. I'm retarded. I got the retarded. Okay, there is. Oh, hey, okay is all right to say. You stopped. You were going to say okay all right. is all right. He's like, uh, okay. I need to find a synonym for all right. What I'm going to say from now on is I'm going to start it off with Colby sucks. And then that'll be my new transition. So Colby sucks. There's one email left, um, but it's Heroescape Poetry that I really don't feel like reading right now. So I'm going to save it for the next podcast. It's long as hell. <laughs> All right. There you go. It's basically Pumpkin King who's written an ode to us and the podcast. And it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight stanzas. I'm not doing it right now. Wow. So those were our listener emails. Uh, we appreciate uh, you guys sending those to us. If you've got anything you want to talk about or if you just want to exchange jabs with us, uh, we like uh, we like all of that. Our email is still scapetalk at gmail.com. Or you can give us a phone call at truth. 419-830-0707. Yeah, now, and you can play your uh, your voicemails in the air. Now, is that the same phone number for the Kick Beaster in the Pants section? Yes, actually. Also, if you would like to Kick Beaster in the Pants, please call 419-830-0707. Excellent. Thank you, thank you Guru, for bringing it back up. Uh, <laughs> appreciate that, buddy. 
So this was the Guru's first and last podcast with us. We hope you've all had <laughs> hope you've all had a good time. If there's any news or anything like that you want to send along as well, we'd appreciate hearing from you. But until next time, this is Mr. Bistro. This is Screen Truth. And Daddy drinks because you make him unhappy. 